Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on filmmaker and film distributor, Josh DeSilva. Josh has great advice on the kinds of things filmmakers need to remember in order to help the distribution process. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and today we are chatting with Josh DeSilva. Josh is the vice president of Questar Entertainment, the Midwest's largest independent acquisition, distribution, and production company. At Questar, Josh has overseen the launch of three fast channels, Go Traveler, Hipster, and Family Time, and he has helped to establish licensing partnerships with all of the major streamers. Uh, Josh's film and TV credits include executive producer for Curbside Eats, Ambience TV, Skeletons in the Closet, and Wake and Bake with Dom Brown, and he's also an award-winning director. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I did give the award to myself, so I don't know if that counts, but... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know... (laughs) <laughs> hey, take take what you can get, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm curious uh, how you got interested in filmmaking and distribution and storytelling and and all of those uh, and all of those aspects regarding film. How did you get started in this business? Did you get inspired as a kid, or you oh, know, yeah. were, you, were you making movies as a little kid or in the drama? Tell me about that. Yeah, as a child, I was the youngest of four. There was quite a bit of a age gap between me and my brothers. So I was, uh, um, my parents were comfortable with leaving me in front of the TV and, uh, I just got immersed in it. I watched a lot of TV, a lot of films, um, you know, and, uh, loved, loved, uh, storytelling and, you know, I'd play transformers with my brothers and stuff like that. And then, um, it got pretty serious for me in high school. I, uh, made a decision. I had tried out for a play when I was younger. Well, I didn't actually try out. I walked up the stairs and I just got too nervous and I, <laughs> I ran away. And, um, so I tried out. I still remember my audition. And you what was know, the play? What was the play? Oh my God, it was. Uh, might have been the Curious Savage. I think. Interesting. I, yeah, I don't even remember. I but uh, I just remember I got on stage and I talked in my lowest voice. <clears throat> I think I was just nervous, so I was just like, "Hello, my name is Josh. Hello, <laughs> I want to do this." But apparently, they found it funny, so that was good. Um, and uh, I just really loved it. It was something that um, I felt I was good at naturally, and um, all a lot of my skills. Or things I love to do, which were usually punished, um, were encouraged. <laughs> so that was great. And um, got to meet a lot of great people, too. And then uh, I would I would do it, and then I would hate it. And then I'd say, I'm never going to do it again. And then I would get back into it. My I, We had a directing teacher, and he would have you write a five-year letter to yourself. Oh, wow. And that was, uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Tom Harden. One of the best teachers I ever had. Um, and um, he would send it to you. And it was pretty cringy talking about my. You mean, you mean are you saying he, he had you write a five year letter and then he actually sent it to you five, year, five years later? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome teacher. Yeah. Tom, he was, uh, he left our school and then he went up to Madison, Wisconsin and taught and uh, did forensics. I never, my brother did forensics. I never did forensics. We didn't have that in my school. But um, yeah, he was an award-winning teacher, a really great man. Gave me one of my first lessons in directing. Um, I was directing something for 
we would do what we called the thespian follies. And uh, I, um, I was like, I'm not going to be like the other directors. We're going to have fun guys. And then it was a week before we were supposed to go on. Uh, nobody knew their blocking. Nobody knew their lines. And I came to him with my tail tucked between my legs. And um, I, you know, I was like, I messed up. I failed. And watching him come in with his notepad and boom, 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 blocking lines, this, that. And it, it taught me a really great lesson uh, in directing. Um, like there are points that are fun and then there's other points that are business. And, uh, you know, also asking for help. You know, a lot of people struggle with that. And um, because I asked for help, um, you know, it really had a profound experience in my life. So, um, but I had a lot of uh, great, great teachers, Mrs. O'Leary, Miss, uh, Miss Frank, um, Mr. Uh, I can't think of ever. And, and where, where did you grow up? What, what, what part of the country are you talking about? Oh, I, so I was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, I lived in a small town called Vicksburg, Michigan, 6,000 people, very small town. And, uh, I had gotten into a little bit of trouble there. Um, and, uh, just my parents going through a divorce and all this other stuff. And I basically kind of wore up my welcome. At least that's how I perceived it. Um, <laughs> so I went to go live with my dad in Wisconsin and I uh, got to start all over. I went from being a class clown to, I don't think I talked for the first year in wow. high school. And it was just a really, like I had gone from failing every class to my first report card. And I had like a 3.6 and I was like, I don't even know how I did that, but I guess just not being a smart ass and um, just paying attention. And I got to really, you know, learn who I was. And, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people, the biggest mystery in their lives is themselves. So it was a really great experience for me to, you know, learn who I am and who I want to be and how I want to define myself. Cause I, I didn't want to be the class clown anymore. I didn't want to be, the bad student anymore. Um, so I got to kind of change that and kind of create my own uh, path. So not easy, but it was good. Yeah, I went to I went to college at um, UW-Milwaukee and I started off in their film program, which is experimental film. And it's uh, I, it's it was it was good to learn how to get critique and learn about like mise-en-scene and you know um but for me i i like to do silly stuff so doing experimental film which was like high art i just it wasn't really a good fit for me and you know i would do my stuff and i thought it was funny and but i guess you're not supposed to do funny experimental films i don't know but um <laughs> yeah so i switched to theater i went back to theater and really just kind of loved it, um, loved the people, the acting. And I just really focused on writing my own stuff and directing and producing. And I would even, I was president of the theater club and I would do big events. And I was a senator for the School of the Arts. And I, I loved that part of it as well, too, because you can have a lot of, uh, affect a lot of change in those roles. 
Um, and I was really proud of the stuff that I did. And, um, but yeah, and then I, I graduated and then I realized, what am I going to do? I have a theater degree. No one's going to hire me. And I was a bartender for a while. Um, and then I slowly would take classes. I would take like web design at my ad. I took an accounting class at, um, MATC. Um, you know, I applied to a couple of different graduate programs, got rejected, but just kept pushing forward. You know, I'm not a person and I don't think it's helpful in this business to dwell on rejection because there's just a lot of it. Get, get angry and prove them wrong. So how exactly did you transition into Questar and what was your initial involvement like? So I went, I came, I eventually came down here uh, to DePaul University to their film school. Um, and I liked it. I was looking for something a little bit different because um, I already experienced the traditional kind of film school, uh, cutting 16 millimeter film and things like that. I loved at the time, it was very, um, they had a very open policy for equipment and um it was it was new so there was a lot of creativity and innovation going on and um it was you know there was exciting professors at the time um and you know i i i knew that this was going to be like my last chance in college and you know i i don't regret what i learned in theater because it was really powerful and i have a lot of skills that people don't have um and then with um you know, I did a lot of editing because I had tried to do some film projects beforehand, but then you have to rely on an editor or somebody to do camera. And I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure, and I, I think this is good for anyone who wants to be a director or producer. You have to learn the language of the different departments and you should have a basic understanding of sound design, basic understanding of editing, VFX, animation, um, that will make you better at communicating your vision and orchestrating uh, individuals. So I, I did that. I worked for a, a finance company for a while. I taught. Um, and then um, I did videos for a finance company that was terrible and soul sucking. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was just nobody knew what I did. Nobody cared. I would bust my butt and um, they didn't. It just, you know, they knew they needed video, but they nobody there understood it. So um, and then I left, I applied and it was pretty interesting starting at Questar. Um, I was their digital content manager and I was coming into a company that was a pioneer in the home video market um, at that time for 30 years, you know, got started off in beta and then went to VHS the founder was in his 80s and didn't hadn't really understood what had changed in the company and the world. He was in the physical goods business. He was if he couldn't hold a, a DVD package, he didn't understand streaming or you know all these other things. So um, it was it was good. I started there about a month in. He passed away, the founder, and. Um, that was pretty crazy. I went on uh, Christmas break. I didn't know if I was going to have a job. I came back. Um, our CFO, John Plowman, stepped in as president and said, you know, uh, we've decided to keep going. If you want to, you know, we'd love to have you if you want to stay. And I just got really excited. 
because it was all about, you know, change and new and testing and, you know, seeing what we could do or couldn't do uh, a lot of trial and error. And I went from being the only digital guy to being one of many digital people, I guess, but I did everything. And that, again, that was a great experience to learn how to deliver content, how to ingest content, how to QC content, how to, you know, create poster art, how to create closed captioning files and metadata and IMDB pages and all these different things. I just had to do it myself. And, you know, I'd be lucky, you know, in those early days to have an intern. But yeah, and then just kind of, you know, we we take a very incremental uh, approach to growth within our company, uh, which I like because I, I think in this business, if you look at the history of companies in the entertainment business, you know, I, my favorite example is the company that did uh, Dirty Dancing. There was um, uh, that show on Netflix, the movies that made us. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you, now, are you talking about the production company or the distributor at this point of that film? I, I think it was the distributor, but they were like around with Questar. I wasn't around then, but they had, they kind of came across lightning in a bottle and then they put all their cards in and trying to replicate that, but they didn't act, they weren't part of the creative process. And um, that's just not how it works. And they went out of business. Yeah. Cause yeah, that was like a huge hit for them. And then um, like you said, they, they couldn't repeat that model again. Yeah. And they weren't, you know, that's something that came across their, their, their desk and, you know, they were just, you know, well, you know, I guess it's kind of like, you know, the executive mentality is just, you know, we'll just do the same and change it a little bit and just do it over and over and over again. And that's not how it works in this business. I mean, there are some things that you can do that with, but it's not sustainable. Well, let me let me ask you about that then, because you know, you having been a filmmaker and 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 are a filmmaker, and you're also involved involved in distribution. I'm curious what you think young filmmakers. I'm curious what you what mistakes you think young filmmakers might be making that could impact distribution down the line. Are there common mistakes that you know that indie filmmakers do that? that maybe hurts the process of distribution or, or maybe there are things that they should be doing that you could talk about. Oh yeah. A lot. <laughs> um, people get very drunk on their own ideas and you should never get high on your own supply. Right. Um, and they're like, Oh, this is such a great idea. It's so original. It's so this, it's so that it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But they never stop to ask why it's not great, why it sucks, why it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, this is first time filmmaking. You know, it it's a brutal process and you can, you know, do all your planning and cross all your T's and dot your lowercase J's. But, you you know, you're, you're still going to have failure. I mean, it's a business. There's always failure. Even in a masterpiece, there's failure. Uh, embracing that failure and and looking for perspective, you know, like well, it's it's one of those weird businesses where where your ego is very involved, it's very personal, and yeah. it makes you gun shy to want to um, be told that you're not doing something as good as it could be. But the reality is, 
that's that's what you want. You 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 don't mm-hmm. want to go to friends and family and have them tell you how great it is. You want to go to the people who are going to give you a hard critique because it's just going to make you better. Yeah, and critique is not easy to take. And I have been in rooms where I'm getting critiqued, and I had to walk out almost in tears. Um, and it, it's it it's a it, it's a it can be embarrassing and frustrating and all these different things. But you're not going to last long in this business if, if you don't, not only are you able to take it, but really to solicit it. And I, I remember, I can't remember where I heard this, but I was listening to someone talking about film and he said that with movies, you have to accept the fact that there are going to be a lot of fingerprints on a project. And all of those people involved are you know, just trying to help make the project better, whether it's the distributor or the producer or, you know, the, you know all of those people. Yeah. Well, and, you know, what is filmmaking? I I like to think of it as, one, good art has layers. And those layers can come in a lot of different forms. But it's the ultimate art form, and that is, it is the synthesis of all art. It is the synthesis, you have dance, you have theater, you have um, graphic design, you've got um, sculpting. I mean, everything is, you know, in it, maybe not all the time, but most of the time. And it's synthesized into this thing that lasts forever. And it, and it has this time and it has this longevity doing plays is frustrating because you do it and then it's gone. You have nothing to show for it doing film. You know, you're, you're, you're orchestrating all these different elements and, you know, the direct, you know, the director is the conductor, you know, but he's not the violinist and he's not the oboe player and he didn't write the sheet music and, you know, he didn't sell the tickets for the venue and you have to just, you know, be aware of that. You know, you got to set your ego aside. And there is a difference. Like when somebody is like, hey, man, this is terrible. You shouldn't do this ever again. You're 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 terrible at what you do. Give up. Like those are not... <laughs> That's not good critique. Those are bad people that you don't want to listen to, you know. But I get when someone tells me no, I get very motivated. Or when someone tells me I can't do it, it that is like one of my triggers. And I'm like, not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to do it bigger and better. I, I remember hearing Kevin Costner, I think it was, say one time that, you know, we all have the right to get better. And I thought that's a, a really positive way to look at it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, one thing, you know, as I've been, you know, I worked with a lot, I work with a lot of young people at the office and, and not necessarily just age, but um, when I have someone who comes in and that day one, I'm always like, you have to like really want feedback because that's how you're going to get better. When you have somebody who makes a mistake or fails and they don't want to be responsible for it and they want to point fingers that tells me that that person has plateaued like it's going to take a, a mountain to have them have that aha moment and they may never have it and it's just not worth investing in that person um when they when they can't like like you get used to it the more you do it i do it i have to do it all the time i'm fine with like this was my fault. I messed up. I screwed up. You know, let let's uh, figure out what to do and we'll move on. Um, I have I have no problem and uh, getting over that stuff for the most part now. But yeah, just a, a word to people. 
it's tough because you're very sensitive to be in this business and then you have to take a lot of feedback, you know, and if you don't want to take feedback, then do it as a hobby. And staying on kind of like the whole, you know, maybe young filmmakers, either in age, but also in career. I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, a lot of people may be thinking this. Does the genre of their first film or like one of their early films matter as well as the cast? You know, I'm guessing if they're early on in their career, they're probably not going to have resources like getting recognizable faces. So I'm wondering uh, what your opinions are on that and how they can maybe counteract those shortcomings. Yeah, I, you know, coming from theater, you don't really have a budget. So everything has to be, you know, creatively done for the most part. And I think that's a struggle for film people. They only think about budgets and they think very linear in their execution. This is something um, I talk about, you know, we'll, we'll get, you know, films from people and it's them being, you know, they're 20 years old, having their 20 year old life crisis in their apartment and nobody wants to watch that nobody's asked <laughs> for it nobody cares um like if you think it's a good idea uh write it down put it in a desk and come back to it like on your third or fourth film um as far as genre you know showing that you're a capable director a good director a good working director they take they have to take very strict notes, whether it's a Hallmark movie, you have to shoot on a certain camera, you have a very specific budget, you have, you know, these are your actors, you may not even be casting them. Um, but we need to turn this around and make it good and get it done on time and on budget. You know. Um, but you know, what what I would recommend, you know, you know, if you want like how do you get noticed? There's a lot of like genres where there's high demand and low supply. Um, one is sci-fi. One is action. Um, you know, you can get really creative with doing an action movie. You know, I mean, I just look at like Hong Kong cinema and, you know, they did that on film and they were able to make it look really interesting and dynamic by, you know, speeding it up. Um and you know just getting creative i mean there's there's so many things that you can do with the execution i think that's where the originality comes in not so much the story because as i say it's all gilgamesh anyway don't get focused on the originality <laughs> have fun with the execution can you can you unpack that a little bit because that's something i think a lot of filmmakers would like to hear you said it was there was um low supply high demand um so d does that low supply, high demand type of film change from year to year? I mean, do you get an influx of one thing and then not enough of another? Um, explain that a little bit to me. Yeah, there'll be certain genres that will fluctuate, um, but there's some that are pretty stable. I would say true crime is always really good, um, you know, from an unscripted standpoint. Horror is there's always a good demand for that. And horror audiences, I think, are pretty um, forgiving. Like, even a bad horror is a great horror. Um, and it's really tough to make a legitimately bad movie. I don't think you can do it intentionally. But um, but it is truly a, uh, something beautiful, almost. Um, horror, action, um, rom-coms are always good. Christmas movies, rom-com, uh, rom-com. Rom rom-com christmas movies 
stuff with talking animals is good. <laughs> and 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 does that mean these are projects that you are actively looking for? No, I mean we it's stuff that we've produced in the past or attempted to produce. But, you know, from our our partners, you know, one thing that they do is, you know, you got to think of the film industry as a very seasonal business. Right now, if you turn on your apps, you're going to see a lot of things for horror movies because it's October, right? Um, and then if there is availability, um, one thing that there's a low supply of is sports movies. And, you know, typically, like, you know, a football movie, like a Rudy um, or a baseball, you know, th those kind of things, they love to, um, you know, pick those up because, you know, we've got football going on right now. So we want to piggyback off of, you know, that. And then, you know, September, you had back to school. Um, so there's things like that and summer travel stuff. But yeah, it's very, you know, they, they program and they do marketing promotions based on holidays like today. Uh, well, yeah. So all sorts of holidays and things like that. And and how far in advance do you make these plans? So are you planning your Christmas schedule now or your Christmas schedule back in August? Um, how far ahead do you stay? Uh, we started working on our Christmas schedule in um, June. Yeah, I'm curious to just stay on the business side of things a little bit. I know you went to film school. A lot of our listeners probably are either in film school, thinking about going to film school, already went to film school, and most of it's staying on the creative side. But I'm curious, as you're in the business side now as well, what are some things you don't learn in film school when it comes to the business side that all filmmakers should be aware of that you're maybe surprised a lot don't when you're uh, initially meeting them with their projects? Yeah, when I came to Questar, I learned more, more in my first week than I, I did, at least as far as about the actual business of it and my, you know, entire grad school and undergrad experience and, you know, working with others. They do not teach you about distribution. They'll maybe do a class, but they don't really teach you about pitching. And then one thing I'll say, they don't really always do a good job is when you know if you've ever been on set it can be um it's a tense process it's a very military operation you know there's not a lot of room for lollygaggers kind of learning that hierarchy like making sure that you're you know my i had a, a great cinematography teacher pete biagi and he said if you're not 15 minutes early then you're 15 minutes late <laughs> And I'll say this is something that everyone should know. I have one of the things that I have seen uh, destroy projects more often than anything. And it really is the biggest enemy of a project. People think they have this idea that in this business that you can be mean to other people, that you can be a diva. You can, you know, talk down to people. You can, you know talk down to actors and things like that. There is no place for somebody like that in this business. If you're an asshole, you don't belong in this business because you're not going to last long. No one will want to work with you. We hear stories about it. And that's usually, you know, PR games where, you know, maybe they'll leak a story about somebody being difficult on set. Is that really true? I don't know. And, you know, what is the context? But that's usually the you know, the beginning of the end of somebody's career 
Like you don't hear about Steven Spielberg, you know, being a diva, you know, um, you don't hear about Martin Scorsese, um, you know, talking down to PAs and reprimanding people. They may have very specific instructions and like things to be done, but, you know, there's, you know, when I, whenever I get a sense of ego from somebody, uh, I immediately don't want to work with them because this is a business where you have to work together. It's, it's very much a team thing. And that all comes through in the project. So the minute I get a sense, somebody is going to have an ego issue. That's um, they could have the greatest idea. They could have all these things, but my life is too precious to deal with that. And it, it never ends well. I have a, I have a producer friend who's done uh, a, a good number of films and whenever he hires a casting director, he always says, I don't care who it is. I don't want you to bring me anybody that's going to be difficult to work with because it's just life's too short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But, uh, well, that is that is interesting. So on the, kind of staying on that note, um, I'm curious if you have advice for filmmakers. Yes, but I'm, I guess I'm talking about, you know, low budget, you know, micro budget filmmakers yeah. who are trying to do their first project and get it off the ground. What things do you want to make sure they remember to do, you know, whether it be behind the scene photos or, you know, get proper content for an EPK, you know, an electronic press kit. Um, are there, are there, you know, simple things like that, that get forgotten on low budget films? Yeah. And it's usually a bandwidth thing, but if, yeah, make sure you're always taking um, really high quality images. This is something that we, you know, we license about 90% of our content, if not more. And our graphic designer is amazing. He's actually our art director. Um, but, you know, when, you know, he's able to sometimes, we, we like to refer to it as polishing a turd. Um, but when there's no, <laughs> there's no resources, there's no images, you know, that that's really important to always make sure that you're taking a time on set to get images of people and looks of people. Uh, really important trivia like look at an IMDb page, you know, I love good trivia and that also gets connected into uh, some other uh, things in the Amazon universe. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, we want to ask you a little bit about the quest star new contest coming up about the travel show. Is there, I just, I'll let you explain it to the audience, but yeah, it sounds really interesting. Thank you, Andrew. So uh, just to give everyone an overview, I kind of alluded to this a little bit. Uh, Quest Air Entertainment, we've been in business for 37 years, which is pretty, pretty ancient in this industry. Uh, when we first started our first month, we were the um, travel network. So we've been in the travel space that entire time. And we've, uh, you know, today we've launched Go Traveler. Uh, Go Traveler can be downloaded on any TV or app, uh, phone or device. And it can also be found on places like Sling. Um, and then we also have family time and then hipster, which I think a lot of your audience would really appreciate our hipster channel, H I P S T R. So we are partnering with the travel adventure show, uh, this year, uh, for their Chicago show. It's going to be January 13th and 14th. Um, and we've got some of our travel hosts, uh, Pamela Holt. Uh, she's one of our hosts for me, myself and the world. We have, uh, Colleen Kelly, of family travels with Colleen Kelly. She's on PBS, been there for 
uh, at least a decade and she's coming to go traveler soon. And then uh, Christine Drennan from Galavan Travel will, will is one of our hosts and she'll be judging for our contest called the next travel star. So go to gotraveler.com. You'll see a link um, to enter your submission and you need a little couple minute video. It doesn't have to be crazy. Um, you know, a little pitch, one page, what is your show? Who are you? Um, and if you're a producer doing it with somebody else. And um, so um, we'll pick some finalists and then the winner will win a development deal with Go Traveler and Questar. And uh, uh, so it's a good opportunity to learn and, you know, get connected with the travel business. And so we're, we're looking for all sorts of people. Well, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I love a good pitch competition. Yeah, and when when is this when does the competition wrap up? When are you going to announce the winner? I guess what I'm asking is how much time do people have to, you know, get involved in this thing? Um, I'd say about a month. I think we're gonna um stop taking um submissions mid-November and uh and then we'll we're hoping to make an announcement um in December and um make arrangements um uh, they're gonna do a live pitch um for the judges at the travel adventure show january 13th and 14th in chicago so you know it's uh, helpful if you're in the area um and then you know do your live pitch and with an audience and go from there well that sounds great well um you know when you pick your winner maybe we can have you back on the show and uh uh, talk a little bit about that process, how you chose this person and, and what the plans are. That would be fun. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Cool. Well, Josh, uh, we appreciate your time uh, to chat with us tonight. You uh, obviously have a lot of great experience, both on the filmmaking side and on the distribution side. And, you know, those two things definitely uh, have to go hand in hand for successful projects. So we appreciate all your advice and your stories and your insight. And uh, we'll circle back uh, later on when you get closer to that competition ending. I'd like to hear more about that. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Melody Lopez. Our theme song was composed by Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.